All right. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? All right. Number one thing we need to talk about, get off our chest, is who is going to win this game? No, no. All right. Let's, let's, let's take this in an orderly fashion because this is a big deal. All right. Uh, the, I'm just going to let you know what the spread is because Vegas says it's by three for the Chiefs in case you were wanting to throw all your money away. All right. Now, listen. So how many of our team are going with the spread and the Chiefs? Wow. Wow. Okay. All right. That was, that was sort of surprising. How many of us are going for TB12 and the bucket? Wasn't expecting that. All right. So, uh, all right. So here's the reality. A lot of people are trying to have, live out their glory days as old men because uh, uh, Tom Brady is my age. So uh, there's a part of me that sort of like is united to him because as long as Tom Brady is playing football and winning, I'm still young. Okay. All right. So that's awesome. All right. So we'll see next week who uh, beat the spread. Okay. All right. All right. So uh, here's what I want to talk about real quick is we are going to be talking about sex, singleness, and serious relationships over the past whatever. And specifically today we're talking about sex because it's the Super Bowl. Now, if you are a, a person that is like sixth grade or older, this is great for you. If you're not, this might be a great time to check out our incredible children's ministry. Just want to kind of provide that opportunity for everybody because we are going to be saying the words like sex and words that begin with O and stuff like that. It's going to make everybody really uncomfortable, especially if you're with your mom. Hey, mom, how are we doing? All right, so uh, <laughs> the reality is that's where we're going. So I just want to kind of, you know, uh, prepared, forearmed, just forearmed, all that. Okay, so we are uh, ready to go. Okay, on that note, um, also, if you are a married person or you want to be a married person, you're like dating somebody, this Saturday, we're going to have our annual abandon. Um, that is where we're going to get couples together, uh, whether you've been married for negative 10 months and you just got engaged, or whether you are going to be, or whether you've been married for like a second or you've been married for a while. And we're going to focus on your finances, your romances, your expectations, your sex life, your goal setting, all that. We're going to talk about that really openly, candidly, honestly. And honestly, uh, we took the staff for this a couple weeks ago, and it was just awesome. And um, we really are expecting great things uh, for this. So if you're, if you're watching online, that is for you as well uh, to be online. And the registration for that, if someone could throw that into all the different chat streams, uh, that would be great. Because I would love for as many as you as possible to sign up for that, be a part of that you can be in person here or you can watch online or be a part of it online through uh, Zoom. We'll, we'll probably get a Zoom link going on that. Okay, that's all the, what's it called, housekeeping? All right. Now remember, if you have questions, we said right, right here is all our questions are right here. Please ask. This is probably going to have a ton of questions come up, especially as we talk about sex, and I'm excited for that. All right. Now, remember, when we talk about sex, most Americans sort of like think of the, cult, the sex ethic of Christians as backward and draconian, right? And whenever I talk to people about this, essentially what people say to me is this, like, <laughs> Chris, 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 Chris. All right, first off, we're in Austin. Don't you understand the sex ethic in Austin is not the Christian sex ethic? In fact, you are behind the time. Don't you want to be on the right side of history? Don't you be on, want to be on the right side of all this? And in about 20 years, you are not only going to be really backward, you're going to be way backward. You're going to be like, you're going to be kind of relegated to cult status if you still believe what you believe about sex. To which I'm like, listen, it's, it's not a truth that's old. It's ancient. It's vintage. Okay. So, uh, and here's what people say to me. I'm like, Chris, listen, I, before I get married, 
I need to take, listen, you wouldn't buy a car without taking it for a test drive, would you? To which I'm like, are you buying a person? Like, is that, is that what you think marriage is? And, and so what happens is, the, and, and here's what they really mean by that. They're saying, listen, Chris, I want to test drive a person to see if we are compatible sexually. And to which I'm like, okay, so what you're saying is, I'm going to be in this, right? If as long as somebody can have great sex with me, I'm in. If they can't, then I'm out. And then you make, and here's what you do when one of you guys get married, in case you didn't know this, you say these weird vows. And like nobody, I think for a lot of times people just go, they just say them because they're like, that's what you do at a wedding. But here's what you've said at a wedding, right? You've, or at least you've heard this. For better or for worse, sickness and in health, richer or poor. You said that at some point or heard it, be, heard it said. And so then what you say is like, what about when your spouse is just giving birth to a baby and there's like, the doctor says for six weeks you can't have sex. And then you're like, well, I thought and I said, and okay, or what if she gets sick? Or what if he gets sick? Or what if something happens? Now what? Oh, but I I took the test drive and it was good then. I'm I'm just saying. And I think this is what happens is we just look at that as so weird. Because we watch a lot of shows and we listen to Cardi B sing and Harry Styles give us watermelon sugar. And we sort of, all of a sudden, we feel like the reality is that's the, the, the sex ethic of our culture. That, that, that sh- whatever the culture is, that's what we want. And so when we talk about covenantal sex, and I'm going to d- make that distinct from transactional sex, we'll talk about that. We resist covenantal sex, which means you don't have to perform to be accepted. That my, in, even in my sex life, I'm here to serve you, not here to get from you. And this is why this is so important. Church doesn't talk about this. And it should, it's like, this is like normal. If we talk about finances, we should be talking about sex. If we talk about spiritual life, we should be talking about sex because it's very, very connected. Okay? Are you guys with me? And I think this is where we're at, right? We would say, listen, we resist God's co- design for covenantal sex because we want to know string, strings attached test drive. Okay? That's what we want. It, listen, you, you drive, then buy. You drive, then buy. I mean, that's what the commercial says. And so, of course, you would. And um, we're going to find out that there's usually going to be strings attached. Okay? Second, second, we want it to be exciting. When you stream your whatever your favorite show is, when anybody gets married, they, the sexual tension is completely gone. Am I right? In fact, you, the shows that you like, the sexual tension of the dude and the chick, it's like this. They're like, hey, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then like, oh, if they get together, oh man, I want them to get together. And then my wife's like, these guys got to get together. Why are they not together? I'm like, why are you so into their relationship? It's not real. And she's like, no, but they need to make this thing happen. Like, where are these writers? These two need to get together. And then once they get together, they kind of create the whole thing of how they're about to split apart. Because we have deemed married sex boring. Okay? That's what we've just said that that's the way it is. And if you want good sex, well, it better be a little bit forbidden and a little bit naughty. Okay, how about this? We want to do what we want, when we want, with our own bodies. The culture has kind of created this mantra, in some ways positive. Like I tell my kids, nobody can touch your body but you. However, what we've said to God is nobody can tell me what to do with my body. 
And so I want to bring us into like what God has to say, because not only did God invent sex, he kind of wrote the rule book for it so that you could have the best sex. In fact, my uh, thesis today is that God wants you to have great sex. Okay, now watch this. And this is the reality here. Here's what's, where are my 20-year-olds at? Come on, come on, come on. Sanj. All right. You will have your best sex in your 60s. It is statistically proven, all right? So the best sex for most of us is still ahead of us, okay? That's just reality. And you're like, what? How is that even? And for 20-year-olds, you're like, that's just gross. Why would you even say that? Okay, and I'm about to walk you through why that's true. All right, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and if you haven't shared this yet online, you should be sharing this right now for all your friends on social media, because this is probably the one message that people will be like, oh, that's fairly interesting. All right, here we go. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Would you guys mind praying with me as we get into this? We talk real talk, because we ain't afraid about nothing when it comes to our Bibles. God, thank you so much for your word and that you can speak to us really, really, really bluntly and clearly about a subject that we as Christians in general, we just don't talk about because it's taboo. And so God, I pray that this would be a real conversation that we have with our children. Uh, We teach them about great sex early on and then we show them and we show them that there is great truth and there's great love and that we can express that to one another in a way that you've designed. And God, we would learn what covenantal relationships are and stop living transactional ones. You're so good, Father. We trust you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 All right. You guys ready for this? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you have the Bibles that you borrowed from us uh, or took from us or because it was a gift from us, uh, that we would love for you to to use that because it's totally okay that you do. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, six. Super excited about that. Page 954 on those. And um, here we go. You guys ready? The body is not meant for sexual immorality. Okay, so the sex ethic of Christians has not changed since Genesis. Okay, so we're talking thousands of years ago before uh, the, by the way, this is Corinth we're talking about, these writing to, and they had a sex ethic similar to Austin's, right? Uh, Corinth uh, in the Roman world was up and coming. It was entrepreneurial. It was where the best education was. It was where all the tech people moved to. And nobody was from Corinth, right? They all moved there from California. And that's sort of how it was, right? And so that's the reality of what happens here is, is what's going on in the city. And so when he's saying, listen, the body's not meant for sexual morality, you had people going like, what do you mean? Like there's a temple right up the road, Aphrodite temple, and you, that's where you get the best steaks and, you know, a little action as part of it. And you worship Aphrodite and the men come away really happy and you get great steak and it's kind of like a win-win, worshiping a steak all in one. What do you, else do you want? And so what they're saying is like, listen, the body's not meant for that, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will, raise also, will also raise us up by his power. In other words, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Isn't that great news? And then he kind of says, do you not know that you are members of, of Christ? Meaning you are literally part of the body of Christ. If you're a Christian, you are part of his body. Now, verse 15, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? <sighs> that makes everyone feel a little bit awkward. Go, what do you say? I'm a prostitute. And then he goes, Never. 
Or do you not know that, the, that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as is written, the two will become one flesh. And I want to focus on this word prostitute because this is important. This is important. Because I'm, I'm willing to bet here uh, that most of you, most of you have not hired out a prostitute for sex. I'm just gonna, going out on a limb on that one. Most of you. But what I bet you is true is a statement that you may have said that you have exchanged, watch this, you've been transactional with your sex, either financially or emotionally. If you've ever said it's cheaper to keep her. And what you meant by that was, I don't want to, listen, I got the apartment and like, you know, if I break it off with her or if I break it off with him, how in the world am I going to afford this rent? That is a financial transaction. Just saying. Okay, okay. Or, or if you're like, I just don't want to hurt her feelings. Or if, like, if I break up with him, like, he's going to be like, you know, on the verge of crazy because, you know, where else is he going to go and what else is he going to do? And I'm just worried that if I break this thing off with him and because we've gone too far and it's too emotional. So what you've said is, uh, and maybe it's for you, I've exchanged sex for emotional satisfaction. That's transactional. And, and here, can I just talk to you about the way I think, uh, and this is for my single people, wherever you are, um, what happens is um, we sort of view sex um, like the way single people view texting the person they're interested in. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, for married people who have been married for a while since it's been a while. What happens is when you text somebody, you're texting and it's somebody you're interested in. It goes like this. You text, but you don't send it. You reread it like a thousand times. Okay, here's what you're doing when you're texting. And tell me, if single people, you can tell me if I'm wrong. All right, here's what, here's what. You, you w- look at, you want to show interest, but not too needy. You don't want to come off weird, but you got to create an open loop. Do you guys know what I mean by the open loop? You have to have a feedback where they've got to come back to you. That's why you like, you leave something at their house. You know, you're like, oh, I forgot that in your car. We need to meet up again, right? You, you know, and so you kind of got to do, you got to circle it back in the text message. All it's, a, I mean, crafting this thing takes a lot of effort. There's a lot of performance involved with these text messaging. And that's what happens if you have sex outside of marriage. It's all about your performance. You got to say like, they are going to reject me if I don't perform at my best. And that's why you would say, you would say, because that person is here to serve you. And if they, don't, if they stop serving me or if it doesn't get great, then I'm out. And so you kind of hold that over their head. And maybe that's not held over their head like intentionally, but in the inside, that's how a person sort of views it. And that's why they have issues when they step into marriage because they've been living off performance base. In fact, all of dating is transactional. You guys know that, right? Because you wouldn't be like, man, I'm really annoyed by this person, but I guess I'm stuck with them. No, you, you go, um, I'm out, right? I'm out. You haven't said better or worse, richer for poorer, sickness and health that you're like, nah, I don't know about that one. I'm out. And so what happens is we've taken that transactionalness of dating, implemented into our sex life. And, if, and you say stuff like, and I've, listen, I've done tons of marriage counseling. I've done all of this for her and she doesn't do anything for me. Okay, that's true for sex, and it's true just for life. That, that's where it goes. I did all this for you. I did it all for you. And you're like, no, you actually did it for you, so you'd feel better about yourself, and then you sort of have to hold something to hold over her head so that she'd do something for you. Transactional relationship. That's what that is. Come Saturday, we'll talk more about it, married people, okay? Okay. So you have this sort of prostitution going on either financially or emotionally. 
And that's the reality of what premarital sex or outside of marriage sex is. It's all about performance and it's going to get you financial or emotional gain. Do you see that? So, so how this one flesh, right? This, this one flesh, you're stuck. The two will become one flesh. God designed sex to have strings attached. Now, um, here's what's great about God. He designed sex to have strings attached because he wanted you to experience the best in love, and so he put truth rails on it. Does that make sense? So he said, you, sex is designed between a man and a woman, and sex is designed within the context of marriage. You take it outside of that, you're, you're looking for problems and issues. Now, uh, oh, a while ago, um, a while ago, this week, uh, I was reading uh, Psychology Today. Do you guys ever read Psychology Today? It's fascinating, pretty much non-biblical uh, truth that has nothing to do with Jesus, and it's pretty much the antithesis of everything we believe, Okay. So uh, I was reading kind of what a psychology today sort of thought about friends with benefits, because that's sort of like, you know, that's kind of how we call it. And so um, what what I read was this. This Here's what it said. This was so great. It said, friends with benefits is a great way to have to preserve uh, your emotions in a time of your singleness. But there's, there are some rules going on. You have to go in with this with eyes wide open. So you can do whatever you want as long as you go in with eyes wide open. So that, means, that means that just if you state right off the bat that this sex is going to be purely physical. I'm not tying any of my emotions to this. I'm not tying any money to this. This is going to be... And once you say that, you're clear. Because everybody knows that everybody tells the truth in those relationships. <laughs> and then it gives an example. It said, uh, it was Jessica and Steve. They were, and they tell the story, right? Like they're a great relationship. Whenever they were dating other people, they wouldn't have sex with each other. They were just friends. And then whenever those relationships ended, they would use each other as sex partners. And that would allow, and I love that, allowed Jessica to not come off too desperate and needy when she was dating other guys. Oh, that's so great. That is so great. And then it said, and then it said, but it said, here's the reality. And so it said, like, sometimes this does end badly. So if a person doesn't, you know, at some point someone's feelings change, and if they're not upfront about it, all of a sudden that person becomes uh, a little bit whiny, a little bit needy, and then they become a little bit, you know, possessive, and then it doesn't really work out. And said, but like Jessica and Steve, you, everyone should sort of like go for that. Now, Je- now they stopped having sex whenever uh, Jessica got married to Carlton. Uh, and now Jessica still has lunch every now and then whenever Steve comes into town. And then this last line that was so glorious to me. Jessica hasn't told Carlton about Steve yet. This is on psychology today. Like, like, like doctor, PhD people have written this stuff. And then they go, yeah. She hasn't felt comfortable yet. Why? Because she should feel shame for that. That she's got her friend with benefit that's still her buddy and, and old Carlton doesn't know about it because the second that Jessica talks about, yeah, we just have, we just have sex as friends because it's totally platonic. Carlton's going to be like, you are never seeing him ever again. <laughs> right? Am I, am I like, unless he's just really secure. He's like, no, no, it's totally cool. I understand. You're just friends. Because that whole time, Jessica was really in love with Steve, and Steve just used her. And eventually, she, she settled for Carlton, and she's still hoping. If Carlton doesn't work out, Steve's right there. 
That's what she's doing. Now, they didn't write that in there, but anybody with half a brain and knows relationships for two seconds knows what's going on. But of course, in our tolerant culture where all things and all love is all perfectly okay, we're just going to walk right into that one and be like, yes, of course, that is just such a platonic relationship. Jessica wants nothing from Steve other than just the friendship. I'm just <laughs> PhDs write that. Which we, we all know education does not make you what? It just doesn't. Okay, that, that's why we got to read God's Word, because what, what you know about the culture is they're going to twist ridiculous stuff, and when you say it out loud, you're like, that doesn't sound right. And then all of a sudden, you're like, maybe God isn't quite so draconian and ridiculous after all. Okay, let's go back for a second to see how God invented sex. Can we do that? We'll go to Genesis chapter 2. All right. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him, this is good, I will make him, sorry, I will make him a helper fit for him, meaning I'm going to go to the drawing board, I'm going to pull up the blueprints, and I'm going to design someone for him. Now, to prove that uh, an animal would never be fit for the task, whether for just a friendship or whatever, beyond that, uh, he brings all the animals for Adam, and he names them, okay, he names them, and but verse 20, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Now, the word helper here, you've seen it twice, and this is really good. Um, did you know that helper, when I think helper, I think of my little Titus right here. Titus is daddy's little helper. He brings daddy the hammer. Uh, he likes to collect wood chips with daddy to put it into the fire. And I think sometimes when we viewed this word helper, we're like, oh, it's a helper, pat, pat, pat. That's what a wife should be. And that's couldn't be further from the truth, all right? Helper, God is called a helper. Do you know one of the names of God is Eleazar, which means God, El, which means all-powerful, God, and then uh, Azer, which means help, God of help, Eleazar. So helper is not like someone that you pat on the head to patronize them, and also it's not someone that is clearly above you. In fact, what's so cool is that whenever God takes um, a part of Adam, and I love that he takes a part of Adam. He doesn't take a part from the skull to say like, oh, she's going to be above uh, Adam. And she doesn't take a foot bone, because there's a bunch of foot bones to choose from. It'd probably be less painful. And she doesn't take a foot bone. What, she, what God does is he takes a rib, right? Watch this. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place in the flesh, rib side to side. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made, God designed, made, he did this, into a woman and brought her to the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one. Now, we saw that with, a, like, don't, you know, don't have sex with a prostitute for financial, emotional gain. But because when you have sex with your wife, there's a oneness going on here. When you have sex with your husband, there's a oneness going on because why, I'm going to blow your mind with this. This is a part, like, this is a part you've probably never been taught in church because chemistry and Jesus in general haven't been, like, a cool thing to bring together unless it's, like, going to turn something dark into clean and with oxy power. All right, anyway, watch this. All right, watch. God designed you for your spouse. And specifically, I'm talking about he designed your brain for your spouse, to which everyone's like, what? Let's talk brain science. Can we do that? Can we talk brain science? Is that okay? Is that okay? All right, so UT, like University of Texas, did a study like uh, back in 2012, and they kind of 
Watt, they, they hook people up to, uh, help me out, electrode thingies, right? And they're going to monitor the brain, right? So they monitor the brain. And so what they, they realize is that there is a pattern for sex. You would view something uh, erotically stimulating that would become your arouse, and then you would have sex, you'd have an orgasm, and then that would release chemicals into the brain like crazy, specifically dopamine, oxytocin, prolactin. All right, so let me just talk to you about how God designed this. Based upon if God designed chemistry of our brains, watch this. So God designed it like this. Remember in uh, verse, I think it's verse 13 of chapter 2 of Genesis, Adam sees his wife and he he breaks out into poetry. At last, my lonely days are gone. He said, at last, this is flesh of my flesh, and I call her woman. He breaks out. That's where poetry is invented when he sees a naked woman, all right? So this is how God designed it. You view your naked spouse, and then you, what? What happens? You become aroused. This becomes very exciting. Austin, you taking all this in? All right. All right. Then you have intercourse, okay? And so there is this place where there's sex going on, right? There's sex happens, all right? And then there's an orgasm. Now, when the orgasm happens, there's a chemical release that God designed. Okay, wait. Now, there's a, do you guys know what dopamine is? It's the video game chemical in your brain. That's what makes you addicted to video games, right? So if you're a guy that's like, I just can't help it, I got to play, it's because of dopamine. Blame dopamine, all right? But what happens, what happens, don't do that, be a man. All right, anyway, sorry, that's another story. <laughs> Sorry, okay. So dopamine, there's a dopamine release. And what, what they learned about the brain is this, the, the brain on heroin and the, the brain on sex looks exactly the same whenever your brain is flooded during sex and an orgasm. It looks exactly the same. You can't tell the difference between the heroin brain and the sex brain. It's the same. So the dopamine is released, which makes you later want to do it again. All right, now watch this. With dopamine, here's what happens. Because it's part of the limbic system and that's the reward system of the brain, is that's what's sort of like, oh, I, I really was rewarded by that. I'm very excited by that and I'm going to be enjoying that. Okay, watch. Here's what happens. It makes you want to have sex again with whatever it was you were looking at or thinking about. Which could go badly if it's not in the bounds, right? So whatever you're looking at, that is what, that's how fetishes develop. All right, so that is how, so whatever you're looking at, whatever you're experiencing in that moment, and remember, for our culture, with porn being such a normal thing, our culture has had, uh, seen more like pornography, like than the ancient people, times one billion. So your average like 15-year-old has seen more porn than like the greatest sex addict of the, you know, of the biblical times. Like more than Solomon, all right? So, so the reality is, so the dopamine says, let's do this again. That's like the reward system. And then, and then what happens is also at that same time, there's an oxytocin, which is a hormonal release. It's the same release in women whenever you breastfeed, like there's that connection with my baby. It's like, oh, my baby, oxytocin release. It's beautiful, okay? And then what also happens is, uh, is that's the thing that kind of creates bonding. So if you've ever said to your spouse, I just don't feel like we're connected anymore. If you've ever said that, that's because there's a lack of oxytocin. And so that means you probably need to have more sex. 
Okay, now watch, now watch. <laughs> All right, and then on top of that, and then on top of that, another hormone is released. It's prolactin. All right, so prolactin is the satisfaction sort of hormone which makes guys go to sleep like instantly. So if you ever wonder, it's like not their fault. <laughs> they can't help it. It's just. It's just, that's what happens. All right, so, so that's what happened. The chemical release, and then what happens is what your brain is, now here's what's really great about this. Your brain is programmable. Did you guys know that? So whatever you're looking at is what it gets programmed to. So when your spouse becomes spouse 2.0, that's one thing. And then the spouse gets 3.0 with a couple kids. That's another thing. Spouse 4.0 and donuts. And then spouse 5.0, and then spouse 6.0, okay, your brain is reprogrammed to that. You with me? Which means, this is good news for some of you. That means you working on your body, ladies, because if I don't, then he won't, is not true. Because it's programmable to the current version of you. Isn't that great news? So on the flip side, <laughs> on the flip side, on the flip side, if you are viewing like something that isn't your spouse, whether that's fantasy from the past or porn from the current, it's creating a different pathway of connections in the brain which makes it harder for you to have sex with your spouse. And that becomes a reality that we have to sort of deal with, which may make you feel like, oh, I'm not attractive enough because he won't, because I can't, and, I, and all of a sudden we're, all, we're going down that path. And how do we stop it? That's, that becomes the thing that you're like, what do I do? And this is where some of you, you feel like because of that, because of the reality of whatever you're looking at, whatever you're thinking about in that moment is what your spouse becomes into and that becomes what the dopamine release. That becomes the oxytocin release. And oxytocin only works if you're touching someone. So you don't feel connected. And so if your world is porn world, then you don't have that oxytocin connection that is supposed to build into marriage. Do you guys know that? All right. And so now when I say all that, you're like, well, our sex is hopeless. It is, I mean, it's over. I'm, we're already, we're uh, like, I'm married to somebody that's stuck on porn. I'm married, like my, my whole, I like, I, you don't know, I've wrecked my body. I've gone down this pathway. And so listen, if you feel like you wrecked your soul and your brain, good news. I, I've got great news, good, great hope for you that Jesus not only can reprogram your brain, but he can renew your soul. And I think this is the part of the message that in general in church places, we get to everything up to here and we're like, you screwed it up. Have fun with that. And I want to kind of get to the good news. This is the part like, if you're tuning in, this is the part to hang on, on to. Look at verse 17 from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at this. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flees from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Why does that matter? It's my body. I can do what I want with it. Because, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now look at this. Listen to me. This is so huge. For you were bought with a price. This, when I read that, I, man, I can't help but think of Hosea chapter 1 through 3. Have you guys, are you guys familiar with the Old Testament, Hosea? 
Well, if you're not familiar, let me tell you a quick story. It's, this is just mind-blowing, okay? So God tells a prophet, and I don't know, like, I don't know what prophet got this, and only one prophet ever did, so I don't think this is a repeatable thing, okay? But uh, God goes up to this prophet named Hosea, and he's like, mm, <clears throat> Hosea, come here. Um, I need you to go down to the local brothel, and you're going to pick out a wife. Go marry a prostitute. To which he's like, come again? <laughs> so he goes down, and he picks out Gomer, all right, which... I mean, you know, not many kids named Gomer these days, all right? <laughs> all right, so he picks out Gomer, and he has three great kids with Gomer. But then Gomer, listen, she hasn't been, she wasn't raised up in church. She, wasn't ra- she was raised up in prostitute land. Maybe her mom was a prostitute. She grew up, and it was a, she grew up in the bar scene as a little kid. Uh, all she knew as a kid was like how to have transactional relationships. And here is a prophet of God who loves her perfectly, like, covenantally, no matter, no matter what. She's like, oh yeah, I'll test that. And she takes off and she goes back to, she goes back to the life where you know, she had the sweet dresses and stuff paid for and guys take her out on dates and like every night was like a new night and she uses and abuses herself uh, on the love of different men and they, they're paying the big bucks and then all of a sudden she gets in trouble and she ends up having to sell herself into slavery. And Hosea, of course, uh, with his three kids, kind of been stuck. I mean, he's now a single dad, right? And he's having to, to raise his children. And then God says, hey, uh, Hosea, I need you to go show your love to your wife again. And Hosea's like, well, she's not here. And so that means go find her. And so he has to go. He goes, checks out the brothels, looking for my wife. And just imagine how, like, humiliating that is to be like, <clears throat> anybody seen Gomer? Oh, Hosea, why would you marry her? Don't you know that she's a mess? You're an idiot. Find somebody else. And Gomer's like, no, no, no. You think I married her for Gomer. I married her for God. Did you guys know that's what covenantal love is? You don't love your spouse based on their performance because they're going to screw it up every time. You love your spouse based on God's performance who's never messed up. So, so he goes from place to place, and he finally comes to like a, a slave trading block, and they're like, we got us some slaves up here. And he's like, and Gomer's one of them, and she, her body's been beaten down. The years have not been good to her. She has thrown her whole life away. And uh, anyone want to buy this one? And uh, she's going for the price of a dead slave. And Hosea buys her. He married her once, and then he buys her back again. And he says, you're going to be my wife, and I'm going to be a husband to you forever. Now, you've got to imagine this. This girl is not exactly prize material here, but he chooses her anyway. And that story of the prophet Hosea is a mirror of how God loves his people, even when we're unfaithful. Because here's what's good news. Here's the good news. It's not just sex. It's the, like, so the horrific sin, Right? We are liars because we've lied. We are cheaters because we've cheated. We are people who break God's heart all the time, and yet God says, I love you. I'm coming for you. I'm going to search high and low, and I'll buy you back over and over and over again. So glorify God in your body because that's his thing. He does that. He 
makes all things new. But watch why he can do this. It says, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You were bought with a price to honor God, glorify God in your body. God designed your body for his temple. Did you guys know this? When you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, rose from the dead, and you invite the Holy Spirit in, he starts to indwell you. He lives inside of you. And he's jealous for you. Not jealous in the sense of like, how come you get to do all the things I don't get to do? No, no. We're talking about jealous for you like a husband is for a wife, like a a holy jealousy. He wants all of you. And when we run to the things of this world, he's like, no, 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 no. Remember, I bought you for a price. I loved you. You are mine. And so now honor God with your body, not so that you can be saved, but because you are saved. Do you see the difference? You see, a lot of times, a lot of people in religion world, they say, listen, you got to get your act together. You got, you got to start working harder. Be better. And Jesus says, <laughs> you're a train wreck. You're a slave that I could buy for a dead slave cost, but I value you enough, watch this, that Jesus, who was perfect, valued you enough to die. And not just you, but all those who are dead in sin who would say, Jesus, I am broken. I need help. I need something to change me from the inside out. I'm so selfish. I've been living transactionally. I say a lot of stuff like, I've been doing all this stuff for him. He doesn't do anything for me. I've been doing all this stuff for her. She doesn't do anything for me. And your whole life's been transactional. And Jesus comes along and says, I will do this for you and you do nothing except receive it. Over and over. Even when you run away, I'm gonna come chase you down because I love you. I'll come find you on that trade slave block, broken and miserable, because I love you, because you are my child, and I will do whatever it takes to find you. Which is why, if you've been running in sin, you feel awful. Like there's something inside you, like a beacon of, in your heart. It's like, me, 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 me. And the further into it you go, it's like there's something inside me that's calling me back, and I, oh, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to turn that off. Somebody turn off the beacon. And then all of a sudden, you eventually got crosswords. I got to go find Jesus. That's what you do. Because he designed you. He put himself inside you. And so there's no escaping him. He loves you and he wants to conform you to the pattern of his image of his son, which is perfection. And it's going to take a lot of retraining and reprogramming. And it's going to be hard and it's going to cause a lot of fights in your marriage but it's going to be the best thing in the world for you because God, listen to me, the, the devil, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came that you may have life and not like a half-life, like, man, it's going to be all right. No, he came that you may have life and have it to the full. Man. And I think we forgot that, that when you're indwelled by a spirit, it's a party, not like a museum. And for a lot of us, when we think temple, we think, eh, it's going to be pretty lame. And so um, my heart for you is that you would understand that God doesn't take you for a test drive. He's all in. No, no, like all in. Like he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. He goes all in for you. Not like half in. This is what God doesn't do. I'll die on the cross. Okay, that's cool. That's my part. Now you better get your act together. You better live the perfect life. And if you don't, it's a test drive. I'll take you back. It's not how God is. When he chooses you, he goes all in. There's no like half halvesies. You pay half, I'll pay half. No, no, it's all in. I choose you. Even in the worst of your... He knew what he was buying. 
He doesn't just like choose you. Go, whoa, I didn't realize you were that screwed up. No, no, he, he takes you in the brokenness of your heart and the disgustingness of your sin and said, I make all things new. And that becomes the greatest hope of all that you can be brand new. He can reprogram your brain and give you a brand new soul and a brand new heart and make you born again. That's why we sing the songs. That's why there's snotty tears. That's why people do church because there's something happened inside them that was so powerful they want to tell the whole world. That's the good news. Okay, so, so the question, uh, here's the question. Will you trust God's design for sex? Is everything, because right now, it's something, yeah, that's a great idea. I trust that. That's great. And, but when you leave here, you're going to be face to face with this sex ethic, and you're going to be like, mm, I don't know if I want to do all that, because that's hard. And that's going to be choosing Jesus over my own flesh. That's going to be choosing Jesus over my emotional health. That's going to be choosing Jesus over financial gain. Do you see that? It's about being covenantal with him so you can be covenantal with others. Do you trust his design? And one of the things that we do all the time is we take communion together. And we're going to do communion again because it shows the ultimate and covenantal love. You see, Jesus... He got his disciples together because I don't think they could, you know, they needed like crayons and, you know, small drawings to understand stuff. So he went, this is my body. And they're like, so that's your real body? You mean I'm going to eat you as a, no, no, it's not, this is symbolic of my body. In the same way that your stomach needs bread to survive, your soul needs Jesus to survive. So he broke the bread. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they're like, okay, I'm into that. And that same night, he took the cup, said, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin, for your lies, for your cheats, for your murder, for the brokenness of your sexual encounters. I'm dying. I'm shedding my blood for you on that. And that became unbelievable hope that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. So here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. If you're not a Christian, don't, like these little, you have a little crackers and a little, wa- and a little wafer and a little cup of juice thing, don't take it with us because that's just sort of weird. It's like participating in a ceremony that you don't really believe in, okay? But if you want to take a step forward in faith, like you're saying, like, this is my day. I'm willing to repent right now. Did you guys know there's a difference minor difference between salvation and sanctification. And I think for a lot of people, for a lot of people, here's what happened. They got saved at like such an early age, they don't remember what salvation is. They're like, what is salvation? I mean, I guess, I, I don't know. There was a point, not like some people, when you tell your testimony, it's like, tell me about the time in your life when you didn't have Jesus. Then tell me when you met Jesus and now how your life is different. And they're like, I don't know the time. But I can tell you, in your sanctif- it's not like you, your salvation doesn't count. But there's moments of sanctification where you trust it in you. You said, my body's my own. My, I can do it my way. God, whatever. And then he convicts your heart because he puts his spirit inside you and it starts going off like, whoop, whoop, whoop. and he calls you to repent and that's called sanctification. Very, same exact thing happens with salvation and sanctification. It's just salvation, etern- the other thing it does, it gives you eternal life in heaven. Sanctification makes you more like Jesus right now. And when you turn from your sin and you trust in Jesus, it's brand new. 
So this morning might be the morning where you've been living a life of dark sinfulness with your words, with your mind, with your actions, and it's time to repent. And so if you're a Christian this morning, if you're ready to turn from your sin and trust Jesus, I want you to take communion with us. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give us like about 30 seconds to really just contemplate asking Jesus for forgiveness, and then we're going to take communion together. Would you guys do that with me this morning? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that you are in complete control and we love you desperately. And God, I'm so grateful that you talk about the things that um, we don't like to talk about. And because you talk about them, we talk about them. And so God, I'm praying that your grace would be sufficient. And I'm praying that somebody here, maybe for the first time, hasn't trusted you. And this morning they would for the first time. They believe that you, Jesus, died on the cross for all their sin. You rose from the dead. And Holy Spirit, you would come into their life and make them a temple of your spirit. And you change them from the inside out. And God, I'm praying for Christians who've been Christians for a long time. And they've been a Christian and they've said, God, I want to trust you. I want to trust you, but I can't because there's all these things. You don't understand. It's complicated. And Jesus would remind them that nothing's so complicated as going to the cross for the sin of the world. And God, that you would just reach into their heart and take that darkness and say, it's time to repent. And they would not take this communion until they've repented and said, resolved in their heart and their mind that they're going to live for you, Jesus. Please, God, would you do that? Would you do something really spectacular this morning in and through them? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take 30 seconds. Just contemplate and listen to Jesus as you confess sin and repent. Now, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the body of Christ. That same night, Jesus took the cup said, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. God, you are doing some incredible things. And we worship you for all that you're doing. And I'm praying that we would be a people of repentance, a people who have a Christian sex ethic that you would honor and would be honored by all. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said.